Welcome to the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas, with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. We're back with the Texas Oil & Gas Podcast. This is episode 132. 132. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, looks like Nate is headed into the lake. Luckily for me and you, we are not so uh, it's a it's a great monday don't great speak way to too start the soon week. josh pop the confetti got 19 more people and call the fight to join me it's over there's no reason people to go rate and review we've hit 200 all what the it, reason whatever, in the world yeah, there's no reason to go hit to 225 all the reason in the world i have to buy one towel for nate i can't afford to buy a towel for josh and myself as well so we don't what we do not want what we do not want is another 19 or five-star reviews at this point. You're giving me a towel? We Well, <coughs> a towel cloth. Huh. Phrasing there. Still giving me clothing, <laughs> dude. I mean, Under it, the terms of my contract, that means that I'm free. Yes. <laughs> In the spirit of Christmas cheer, we would appreciate bringing the closers a five-star review, Energy Week a five-star review, any of those lovely podcasts that I'm on. A five-star review would be and lovely. the Texas Oil and Gas But podcast. the Texas Oil and Gas podcast, we've gotten 200 and something, so... 206. We don't need, we we don't need any more. We, we don't need any 225. We don't need any more. At least until beautiful, beautiful second week of January. January. Yeah, after, after December 31st. Because, see, I'm not going to probably even check it anymore this year. I don't know why I would. I'm going to check it I every mean. single day. <laughs> we did hit 200, which means Nate is going into the lake. We're making the lake great again, or whatever you want to say. The stickers are ordered. They will be in. If you left us a five-star rating review, you send me uh, a screenshot of it and your, your uh, address. I will mail you one as soon as those stickers get in. I'm back from China and vacation and traveling. And all that jazz, so I will get out a sticker. We also got some shirts. We, we didn't get any printed up, Josh. I went with the on-demand method. So texasongaspodcast.com slash plunge, is it? P-L-U-N-G-E. We'll link to that in the show notes. If you want to get a shirt, I think we have some hoodies and stuff on there as well. You can get one ordered to celebrate this occasion. And we might have a Christmas shirt coming out as well. I will be posting on that about LinkedIn by the end of the week. If we do a Christmas shirt, you can pick those up uh, through the website or LinkedIn or whatever. Now, Josh, I have a couple other things to talk about before we read these reviews from our listeners. One, um, we don't break news on this podcast, but I feel like this is the appropriate time to do that. And what happened is uh, me being a man of the people was hanging out with some folks during Thanksgiving, and they are talking about how much they love the podcast, which, I mean... What else are obviously. they going to say? Right, obviously, obviously. And they love the what, what we do, this, that, and the other. And they said that they found out about this guy named Sergio Chapa from our podcast. And then these words were uttered, probably for the first and last time in humanity. I love Sergio Chapa. And I was like, wow, that's, that's the first time I think I've ever heard that. I love Sergio Chapa. So we can now officially say that one person on this earth appreciates and loves Sergio Chapa. Probably won't ever hear it again, Sergio. We hope you enjoy that. Um, and to show that I'm a man, people, I said, do you want to talk to Sergio? And he goes, yeah, that'd be great. So I pick up my phone. I text Sergio. I'm like, hey, I found your one fan. Would you like to talk to him? Sergio takes forever to respond. I try to call him. Sergio doesn't respond. And like two hours later, Sergio calls me back like, hey, I can talk now. Now, Josh, if that were me and you were like, hey, someone wants to talk to you, what would have happened? You would have called me and I would have answered, right? 
Yeah, you would have answered, answered and you right. would have talked to them and to intermingled them. with the right. people. Yeah, right, right. Okay, so this, this, so Sergio, you did have a fan. I can't say if he is or not. Um, which did bring this up. Someone said, "Hey, can I send you some swag?" Uh, and you promote ourselves on the show. I said, "Of course, swag." But um, what's our favorite type of swag? Cash money, right? Cash money is our favorite type of swag. So feel free to send the swag again. That came up over the holidays as well. China, I put out a thing on LinkedIn. There will be a China podcast. Uh, when that drops, we will probably put it in this stream so you guys can know where to find that at. Um, but that hopefully we are working on the details of the China podcast. You'll hear about my experience and everything else that's going on in the land of China. Finally, end of the year, we're working on our schedule. I know we're considering doing some recaps some predictions and some thought shows. If you have uh, some input on that, you said, hey, you know what? Um, I'd like to maybe give my opinion or two cents on what happened this year or what we're looking for next year. We are putting together a couple end-of-year shows, so we'd be happy to hear that. Reach out to producer Nate uh, through the website, takesalongaspodcast.com, or um, you can get his email or LinkedIn in the show notes. We have three reviews to read, I believe, Josh, right? First is from Get Nate in the Lake, five-star review from Taylor Street G. Hey, guys, great podcast. I'm an analyst and consultant in the industrial industrial manufacturing space. I'm, for, I'm forecasting major data... Um, yeah, forecasting major, major data sets like oil prices and the rig count and analyzing a lot of data for Fortune 500 folks and for numerous trade associations. You guys really helped me interpret all of this data that I'm constantly st- staring at, and it's been very beneficial in my work. I have several clients impressed by my knowledge of the oil and, oil and gas industry, and in particular, and you all play a big part of that, so thank you. So first off, thank you, but um, if you send them our way, we won't tell your secret, right? Like, if you send them to our show, we'll tell them that you told us that. So we'll get more listeners, we'll get more reviews, and then we'll we'll give you the praise. So let's put that out there. Ryan, I think if you bring Josh to China next time, it will help move the trade deal along. Now, that's a shot fired. That's, not, that's unnecessary. Like, that was unnecessary. That, that guy stung a little bit. I think they would appreciate a fellow communist communist tagging along with you oh well that that that, 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 that makes sense and okay so bring the commie along to deal with the commies that makes sense josh you know i'm just playing great enunciation by the way nate best of luck man uh, josh it feels like you're getting fans here and i'm not really happy about this <laughs> hey well look they want me to go to china to get some deals done it looks like uh some of those trade deals got backed off um after you left and yeah trump, you know, just... trump ruined all the foundation i laid I mean, I had the democracy reigning free in Hong Kong. The Chinese announced they're rolling back the uh, tighten up AP laws, and then Trump goes and does Trumpian things. So, um, but yeah, that's a good point. Bringing along a fellow communist, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I probably, probably should have done that. Next one is Frankie R. New to the podcast, and I've enjoyed every bit of it. It's nice to stay up to date with the news of the Permian, especially being a field sales representative in the area. Keep up the great work. Looking forward to more episodes and. Jason from the Foodie? Footie? I would have said hoodie, but it's got an F, so Footie. Jason, Jason the Foodie. Jason the Foodie. I can't read. Must I can't be a announce chef you. of some kind. Okay, Jason the Foodie. Oh, see, Nate's really smart. Good, knowledgeable host, smart reviews of Texas Oil and Gas and uh, Gas News, and great guest. Thank you all. Thank you for hitting 200, Josh, mm-hmm. and I do really appreciate it. It was our Christmas gift. So if you love the show, be sure to share it with your friends, family, coworker, children priest and all of josh communist buddy enemies anybody 
Well, uh, Ryan, there was a couple of articles that came out this week. Um, one from Heart Energy is uh, FERC greenlights more Texas LNG projects. Now, we, we talked a little bit about some of these projects, but uh, one of the things that we overlook often in the industry is that these projects sometimes have to go through seven or eight phases of uh, approval before they actually begin construction. So as I was reading through this article from Heart Energy, it, it mentions that they are doing free. Uh, they don't, there's some free trade agreements that need to be made that have to be put in place. Final investment decisions called FIDs that they're looking at. And so they are needing to get uh, what one company said was two thirds of the proposed facilities capacity needs to be set in, in, uh, in agreements, offtake agreements, before they're going to proceed even to the final investment decision. So even if they get two thirds of um, two thirds of, of, of their capacity field, they're not even sure that it's going to be a good financial move at that point. So um, I, if you recall on some of the, uh, it may have been the last podcast or the one before, there were three to four LNG projects in Texas, Rio Grande LNG, Anova LNG, and uh, one in Port Brownsville, uh, pretty major uh, projects that they were working on. And uh, it seemed like it was a done deal, but you know, uh, going through this article, it's, it's really not. They're, they have a lot of work to do with the volatility of the market. Those things could be pushed off some. They did get approval, um, but it's going to be interesting to see uh, where where they land. Yeah, and Josh, for the listeners who don't listen to Energy Week podcast, we have on uh, the API chief economist, Dean Foreman, once a month. And they put out a quarterly report. And in that quarterly report, they track the probability of these projects getting done. Now, I'm going back. I just quickly pulled this up while we're talking here. I'm going back to their Q1, I think, from this year. And it looks as just a quick... A quick look over. It's kind of hard to compare this on the fly here, but it looks like the ones that are mentioned in this article as of Q1 this year were given the likely rating, if I'm reading this correctly, um, from the API. They're not the only group that does this, but they're one of them. So um, just a tidbit for listeners, if you want to see what other projects are under um, FERC review and where they're at in their stage, API has that, and we can link to that in the show notes. But yeah, Josh, it is, it is, it is interesting. These are multi-phase projects where you have to get a lot of uh approval by different different inter um you know government entities anything like that and when you go back to the port of corpus christi we talked about a few weeks ago that was part of the problem uh way back what two years ago it is now um you know needing government approval trying to get this stuff done and i haven't heard exactly where the full shakedown of all that came out but it seems like um that some of the concerns are um, are around getting stuff approved, getting it done. Final thing I'll say is, is while I was in China, this LNG topic came up a lot. And while there was some disagreements over exactly how this would play long term, this is one of the things that from the Chinese side seemed to be a way to balance the so-called trade deficit. And so that's a um, something to consider as we move along. We do not have a free trade agreement with China, uh, at least the last time I checked, we don't. And so that's something we need to get done because it makes them, if I remember correctly, they got to import it from like South Korea or something like that. Uh, I can't remember how they were explaining it worked from their side, but we don't have a free, at least an energy free trade agreement. And that's something that we need to get done um, to make it easier for us to work with the Chinese on getting these projects, this product to them. This might be a little off subject, Ryan, but uh, there was another article. Um Putin and President Xi oversee launch of landmark Russian gas pipeline to China. 
so there's a uh, this I mean this just came out. Uh, they're they're working on a pretty major deal, um, gas from Siberia to Northeast China, and uh, so I don't know how that will affect some of the contracts that were struck with China for uh, natural gas in the past, um, and kind of what the plans are in the future with these LNG export facilities, but. This is not something that I follow or track. So this may have been something that's been in the works for a while, but I saw it came out earlier and just was curious how it would affect on the U.S. side, some of the natural gas um, LNG export um, intentions. Yeah, for yeah, right. And we look at these big projects that require multi-phase government approval. It's not uncommon to see a lot of them in a lots of relative term. It's not uncommon to see a handful of names out there, and then those names fall off, and then they go to somewhere else, um, and then you know uh, a smaller percentage, again, smaller is a relative term, a small percentage of them actually get pushed through. And the LG market, as you know, is you know long term, you know twenty, twenty five year contracts. So um, it would be beneficial for us to get them done. But you know, also it's, it's for perspective. We probably don't. I'm not an LNG expert. I'm sure we have some listeners who know more about it than I do, but you probably don't need them all to be done either, right? We probably don't have the capacity or the market doesn't demand them all to be, uh, uh, require them all to be done at this point either. So um, you have some government bureaucracy in the way and you probably also have some market demand that's uh, maybe thought to be there or not there. Or, um, you know, companies strategically placing themselves. uh, You know, you can think about this, and I don't, again, no inside information here, but it's not unlike a company to say, you know what, we're going to build this, uh, our own facility over here to get their competitor competitor or someone else to do it for them and get them a better deal um, because it's not really what they wanted to do, but they kind of needed to, to put out the good faith effort to get whatever it is they actually wanted done. Does that make sense? Yep. Well, you know, there's been uh, a couple of things that's come out, um, reports that are, I guess, feeding into the narrative of natural gas market is is struggling right now, which I think everyone knows is, is a, it's a tight market. Um, but uh, there's a, a report that came out with the Houston Chronicle um, where uh, the guy is, is basically, Jordan, he's basically arguing that the natural gas state is actually worse than, than what we think it is. He mentions that uh, the prices have dropped about 35% in the past 12 months on the natural gas side. Um, he, he does make a uh, quick mention to the oil prices, but he's, he's looking at the future for oil and uh, for gas in particular, and he's not seeing a, um, a upside to this. So he, he's actually saying that it's, it's looks like it's going to be a long-term uh, struggle for, for gas, especially with some of the environmental things on the, on the flaring side. And then just, there's just so much of it. Um, his, his views are dismal. Uh, he see, what he says, it's a sad state. You know, he's looking at Cabot uh, stock prices down 33%. Um, you got several other companies that are, that are struggling to keep afloat. So, um, you know, I, the thing is, is, is it always depends on uh, what's going on in the market. You know, just a, a few, one or two deals with, uh, with these export facilities and some uh, pipeline infrastructure. And you might have a different, you know, a different story going on. Yeah. Well, first off, let's point out, thank you, Jordan Bloom. We've been waiting for Sergio to give us a cabinet oil and, up, oil and gas update for like three years now. So thank, thank you for actually coming through and doing that. It's good to see someone's working at the Chronicle. Um, outside of that, yeah, I think the other thing is, you know, as we've seen, the rigs have fallen off in the Permian, which ultimately will help natural gas because you have less natural gas production. Um 
when the Permian production goes down because there's gas in the Permian. So as we go into next year, where does the rig count go back to and how much gas comes back online? That's kind of the trend to follow. Because if, you, if let's just say the rig count stayed flat wherever it's at today. I don't know where it's at today, but let's just say it stayed flat at 600 rigs or 700 rigs or whatever it's at. Um, if it stays flat, then the natural gas production will eventually go down. Again, you got time the ducks and all the other gas, but eventually the natural gas production for the Permian will, will level off or go down at some point. Uh, and then how does that tie in with overall natural gas prices? I think that's going to be the interesting thing to, to watch there because if the if the Permian, for some reason, oil surges to $100 a barrel and you know rig count blows through the roof and this, that, and the other, well, then, yeah, that's definitely going to put a – put a whooping on the natural gas thing. But the other thing is I've been hearing more and I've been gone out of the country for so much. It's kind of hard to know what's fact, what's fiction, but I have been hearing some people say that the commission, the the rail commission is going to tighten up the ability for these companies to flare off the natural gas. If that happens, it's going to be interesting to see how that impacts the market moving forward. Um, Because if you're burning it off now, you're not making anything on it. If you um, put it in a pipeline, well, then it would seem to increase the the uh, what's going into stocks, and which would seem to hurt the price more, um, at, at least at a, a surface level. Maybe I'm missing something there, but that would seem to be what happens. Well, there's a uh, article that came out, Drilling Info, which is now in Veris. I'm sure many of you know that. Uh, Gastrol meets expectation forecast changes uh, bring volatility. So this article says that natural gas storage inventories decreased 28 billion cubic feet for the week ending November 22nd. So it makes me wonder, Ryan, if, if what you mentioned just a moment ago is, is already happened. So some of these storage inventories are starting to be depleted. And, uh, and with that, you know, the supply will start to go down. So um, they, they said that they were expecting the market expectation was a draw of 27. So it's an extra billion cubic feet of, uh, of storage was, was used and then was projected. So you just, you just wonder if that will continue, but also with the flaring, you know, the question that I have is, is, um, since there's so much of it, I mean, I guess it's the cost of transport really that has to be factored in because if supply starts to go down, they don't actually have to go and work to produce this gas. It's there. They just have to stop flaring it and, and, and the supply will be, will be, taking care of it. I think the issue would be the transport because um, if they stop flaring it, it costs more money. And it makes me wonder too, how competitive could these companies be if they built that into the cost of the gas? Like if, if, um, if these flaring emission uh, rules go in place, will they be able to up the cost in order to accommodate those transport costs into the gas? And what would that you know, cause them to be priced out of the market? Yeah, and I think that's going to depend a lot on the regulation and what the regulation says, and you know who who writes the regulation, and you know you know it's it's one of those things where everyone wants regulation and then they get it. It's like, well, that regulation sucks, you know. And so it's going to be interesting to see how it works out on the interviews drilling info thing. I'm gonna call them drilling info until they tell me not to. Um, yeah, it, I see what they're saying, but also if you look at their chart, their 2019 2020. Um, inventory rates is right in the middle of the five-year average. So it's not like we're sitting outside the five-year average. Um, so I don't really expect it to be much impact moving forward. This is one of those articles, and we have to remember now as oil and gas people, drilling info was kind of built for us. It feels like a one-time, but now they're really heavy into the trading stuff. And this feels like it's an article more for the traders where you read it, and you go, oh, wow, price volatility. And you look at it you're like, well, I mean, okay, yeah, there's there's some volatility, but 
I mean, for what we do, there's, you know, the price hasn't moved enough to do anything. So, uh, but, you know, the if I'm looking at the chart, their end-of-the-year storage in April, where they're predicting it to be, um, you know, will be right in line with where it's been for the last five years, which is, you know, um, no, no, no real change. You might see in January and February, it looks like they might get a little bit above the, uh, the five-year range on the draw, on the draw, but basically it's the same. So um, that's the, that's really interesting to watch. With, just from an info standpoint, Josh, is how much of their stuff is really more for traders um, than it is for uh, for us old old folks and the thing. But hey, I gotta before Sergio gets on here, so we're gonna pick on him before he gets on because that's just a fun thing to do. Did you see the article he put out? about opening the National Forest to drilling more oil and gas. I did, okay. yeah. Did you see who the group that's opposing it is? The, degro- the group is, this is from Sergio's piece, one of the group's finding proposal is the Arizona-based environmental group Center for Biological Diversity. Hmm. I, <laughs> compared to the Center for Biological Uniformity? I mean, I don't... <laughs> like. I mean, I'm not a biologist. I don't have a college degree. I'm not that smart. But, like, is it that kind of a, a given when you're talking about biology, um, unless you're talking about, like, a very, 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 very small data set that it's all diverse? I mean, you're, you're, you and Nate are the smart guys here. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely is. I think uh, what they're trying to say is they want to preserve as many species as possible so that there's more diversity, but poor I want to choice start of words. A sister organization for them and call it the Center for Food Edibility. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just, it's just a funny name. Center for Biological Diversity is like, well, right. Right. Yeah. yeah like, it should be like Species Preservation or something like yeah, that. Species or, right. Preservation Society or. Or something like that, or like, hey, if you kill off this thing, you mess up everything. Dot com, you know, some, something weird like that. That would be, uh, you know, <laughs> something like that. But I did, it just cracked me up. Center for Biological yeah. Diversity. Uh, Biological diversity. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's like, hey. Uh, but anyway, I, I was just curious because I, I just read that. I was like, I, t- I told Nate, I said, that's just the that's just the funniest name to me. I don't know why. Now they did that. Now, now to be fair, the. Um, Let's see here. There was a quote in here that Sergio put, and where is it at? Um, this is from the Center for Biological, Biological Diversity. We need to be cutting our greenhouse gas emissions in half over the next decade to avoid the worst impacts of climate change, not opening up more land to, ext- uh, for, uh, to fossil fuel extraction. This is going the wrong direction. Now, Josh, um, what all goes into greenhouse gases? What all? What all makes those up? Do you know? Uh, it's a bunch of stuff, I believe. One of them's cow farts. I know cow- that. That's <laughs> what I was about to say. Goat burps and cow farts is part of it. Um, yeah. Let's see. Human here. human breath would be you know, CO2. Yeah, so right. So let's just- see here. Yeah, greenhouse gas is a gas that absorbs and emits. Da, 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 da. Let's see here. Okay. So the primary greenhouse gases in Earth's atmosphere are water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and ozone. Without the greenhouse gases that, that goes on. Okay. So, yeah. So, is, is Sergio reporting, and he's not, but are these people suggesting that, that we should basically get rid of the animals because they emit greenhouse gases? No. No, they're not. Okay, they're not suggesting that. Okay. Okay. You don't think yeah. so? 
know, like but so. they fart yeah. so much. <laughs> so, anyway, it's just funny when people say stuff like that. It's like, well, right then. So the natural question is: is what do you do with all the the natural greenhouse gas that are, the gas gases that are emitted? So, but anyways, if we don't get over them, Josh, if we do not cut them in half for the next decade, the worst impacts of climate change will, will be will be upon us. And you know, I want to put it out here right now, Josh. I'm going to put it out here right now. That we will not reduce them by half, and nothing will happen in 10 years. I will put whatever dollar that's reasonable for someone to take me up on that bet. Do you think anyone will take me up on it? I mean, I can't put money I don't have, obviously, but, you know, if I, if I said, like, you know, I was a baller like Josh Shelton, I might put up $10 million. But for a chump like me, if I put up 10 Gs, do you think someone will take me up on that? Uh, highly doubtful. Highly doubtful. Uh, call the biological diversity folks. They they might have the the pockets to put up a little more, even. Well, right, and you know if they're right, it wouldn't matter. So just pass over the ten Gs at that point to me. So, anyways, I just thought that I thought that was I thought that was uh, that was funny that uh, we got to cut them in half. Of course, we didn't. There's no mention of of which ones they want us to actually to actually cut. Um, so. You know, we, uh, we we talk about that a good bit. But, um, there was a, a book we referenced a couple of times by Epstein, and he, he makes mention that um, in general what, what people see is that the human impact on the environment is basically evil. And so anything that humans do is bad. The fact that cow farts and all of that have an impact, well, that doesn't matter because they're not human. Um, and, and I, I don't know, I don't know what the motivation behind that is and I don't fully understand it, but I definitely see it. Anything that, so if, if all these animals are causing CO2 or global warming or whatever, it's, it's, it's fine. But human activity, um, if it has any impact, it's, it's evil. And I'm not even willing to acknowledge that the impact is, uh, significant enough to, to warrant, uh, the, the measures they're trying to take. Yeah, well, I, I, the final thing I'd say on this is is that you know I, I I am more than willing and happy to have the discussion. I have kind of mixed thoughts on all this, as you know, if we talked offline. What I found, Josh, is that the people that 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 are hardliners on this, they actually don't want to think through the issue, um, and yet they want to call anyone who denies it a, a denier. And that's and that's what's frustrating. I was talking to someone the other day. I said, well. Um, how do you know the models are, are right? And I kind of explained, you know, kind of the, the narrative about, you know, if you've got a rifle and the target's off a little bit, at 100 yards you might hit it, but at a million yards or whatever, you'll miss it by a long way. And I kind of used that logic to say that the model, if the model's wrong, um, then the climate models will be wrong. Um, and just, just kind of walk through that. And, and the, the response I got was more or less as, well, you know, I just kind of trust these people that are doing it. And it's like, well, well who, who are these people? Do you know them? Do you actually study their work? Or because, you know, some random organization said that they're the best, that then you therefore assume they're the best? And why do you assume that that, 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 that is the, it was the UN in this case? Why do you assume that the UN is good? The UN has done all kinds of terrible things. And so it's, it's really kind of frustrating because it's like, well, I'm happy to have these. We will take on anyone that wants to come on this show and, and have a very lovely, nice, friendly thing but what you what i found is sadly josh is that when you when you ask those questions the questions that actually matter to this debate 
those are the questions that don't we don't want answers to because if you have to answer those questions, it's really hard. It's really it's it's funny, Josh. When you have to answer the hard questions, no one wants to answer the hard questions. What they want to do is is they want to they want to um, you know answer the easy questions and then consider everyone else some stupid redneck who can't answer it. But when the stupid redneck asks the hard question, well, hey, stupid redneck, go sit in the back corner. You're not smart enough to answer that. Well, and so that that that's to me that's the frustrating thing. So if we want to sit down and talk about it, I'd love to, but. Sadly, won't. Enough about stupid climate change. Let's get our man Sergio on. Okay, we have our good friend Sergio Chapa with the Houston Chronicle uh, visiting us today. Sergio, it's been uh, been a little while, man. How is uh how'd your Thanksgiving go? How are you doing? Um, what's what's the industry like right now from your side? It, it was good. It was good. I was able to uh, drove down to see family in the Rio Grande Valley. Cat caught up on all my podcasts. I feel like I'm all current now with current events there's a lot going on in the oil and gas industry right now actually um you know uh, a lot of stuff we're writing about here is a lot about technology which y'all have been talking about too y'all been hitting on that and uh, a lot of a lot of people talking about tech in the oil field these days you know before we get any further sergio we talked on thanksgiving and i pointed this out to the listeners earlier i had someone tell me quote i love sergio Chapa." And I was like, I can, I can get you to the van. I can put you in front of this person, and you let them down. So, <laughs> I was, I was shopping at a Walmart in Harlingen, uh, trying to get those Black Friday deals. Man, sorry, was I was it? out amongst, yeah, I was out amongst the people, you know, doing what I do. So just realism run amok, you know. <laughs> but, you know, got to remember the real reason for the season, right? Uh, well, to talk to celebrities like yourself. So, <laughs> and, and one thing, Sergio, thank you. We, we forgot to mention this earlier. We were talking before you came on. Um, you did send us a note last week, and we'll we'll, we'll transition to this. That Exxon Mobil um, did not. You, you you did not have an error. We we asked last week about hey Exxon. There's nothing here. So walk us through this week's drilling down, and then any any more comment on the Exxon. Obviously, there's no error there. There's just nothing going on. Any insight as to why that's that is the case? Right. Now, as you know, every every Monday, uh, the Houston Chronicle publishes a, a weekly column called Drilling Down. And we look at the top 10 companies and the top 10, you know, drilling permits around the state. It's a statewide look. And, uh, you know, a couple of weeks back, we, we did one, uh, you know, pre-Thanksgiving one. And yeah, and every week for this whole entire year, you've consistently seen you know, XTO Energy, which is the kind of, you know, the shale right. arm of ExxonMobil, finally 20, 30, you know, 35 drilling permits. And you've consistently seen that all year. And uh, curiously enough, I think it was a couple of weeks back, they went one week with only filing one drilling permit. So, and that was for a vertical well in Andrews County. So um, they took a week off, but you know what? Um, just looking ahead, I, I, I still say they're, that doesn't phase them at all. They're still on track to become or become listed, ranked as the number one driller in Texas. So their status is not affected there. And that was that was not an error. That was not an oversight. Well, we've never thought you made an error, but we did have to ask just because it was so. It, I mean, no, no, I would say like we didn't like we weren't like accusing you of an error because you do good work. It was just so shocking to see that, you know, because you kind of see them. They were doubling up folks for a while. So it was kind of a, a, a curious thing. Now, 
Uh, we do have to ask about the drill down. It does feel like you're taking slight shots of the Barnett because you're like, oh, hey, they've got one well coming. Or last week it was, I think there's four that are planned. We didn't even get a permit. It's like there's four that are planned. Should we take that personal up here at the Barnett? <laughs> no, I don't, I, don't, I don't think so at all. Um, uh, we're keeping a close eye on things there. There's, uh, Barnett is, is, is still there as a shell play. Um, obviously they're, they're more active shell plays, but, uh, they're still in the game. They're still in the game somewhat. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about an article that you put out back in November 7th, earlier this year, more data than old bandwidth poised to become next bottleneck in the Permian Basin. Um, and this is this is an interesting thing here, Sergio, because when I was in China, the talk about Huawei and 5G and all that was was something that came up. Um, of course, not in this context, but um, <laughs> this is this is the discussion that's interesting because it's it's relevant to the oil and gas industry, but it's also a larger um, discussion that's going on. It feels like globally globally about what we're going to do with uh, bandwidth issues and, and how to handle that. So, what's going on in the Permian that might be different than what we see, and um, how are they tackling some of those challenges? No, no, definitely. It's, it's definitely an issue that's, that's on the horizon. Um, you know, I first heard about this, uh, the first time I heard people talking about it really, well, people have been talking about it for a while, but, but one of the, one of the, one of the executive vice presidents at Chevron spoke about this very issue at summer night all the way back in August. And, and, um, you know, she says for the future that they want as a company, these smart rigs, these, these, automation digitalization like like for the oil field you know it's it's all incumbent it's all it all requires bandwidth and nobody thinks about it when they're out there um nobody thinks about it you know here you know here uh back here in houston but then you know when you're out in the field it's very much reality you know you've got cell phones with no service and then you look at these 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 uh, cell phone company maps and they show all these areas of, of West Texas as, you know, red or pink or yellow or whatever the colors like we have coverage. But when you get out there on the ground and I know, you know, this, Ryan, you've been out there. I mean, you, <laughs> on the on the on the coverage map, it shows that they have coverage. But when you're out there and you leave the interstate or you travel, you know, uh, off the highway a little bit, boom, gone. And uh, that's the problem that these, um, you know, inter- oil companies or, or these uh, operators are encountering out in, out in the Permian. And so, you know, um, you know, as the industry becomes more dependent on digitalization and auto- automation, you know, they need that bandwidth. And so, um, you know, Chevron is, 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 is taking a, a leadership role in this and talking about like the need to, 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 you know, to take a, a maybe a consortium approach or to partner with government you know, to, to get that bandwidth out there in the Permian Basin, out there where it's needed. Now, I'll tell you what, in, in the Gulf of Mexico, what they did a, a while back is they, they, they partnered with like the majors like BP and Shell and, and they built a fiber optic ring, you know, on the floor of, of the Gulf of Mexico, you know, to, to provide connectivity to the offshore oil rigs. Something, you know, along that scale in the Permian Basin, though, you're talking like you need, you know, uh, you know, federal, state, local permits, everything like that. I mean, it would be like an endeavor that would cost billions and billions of dollars or erecting like all these towers all over the landscape, you know, um, again, billions and billions of dollars. So uh, and with, you know, with the Permian Basin uh, as the nation's largest and most active oil field, 
you know, it, and it will continue to be so. They're going to have to deal with this issue at some point. So um, this is a really important point that they raised. And you know, there's a number of companies stepping into that space to provide, you know, solutions to the problem. Um, you know, in the story, I talked to a, a company in San Antonio, Totalcom, and, you know, they have trailers and like kind of like these mobile homes and, and they provide temporary Internet you know, on site. And then there's company, a company named infrastructure networks here in Houston also doing, you know, these cell phone towers and using edge computing to reduce the data that you need to send. You know, you don't need to, uh, the computer does the thinking on the ground and only sends the data that it needs to send to the server. So if you're sending less data, you need less bandwidth. You see what I'm saying there? Yeah. So uh, here's a question, Sergio. So the uh, some of these companies are uh, investing in Chevron, Exxon. They're investing in some of these cell towers. Do you see these bigger companies uh, partnering with each other and and going in an investment strategy for 5G, or would you see these bigger companies trying to keep it more exclusive so that some of these other companies wouldn't benefit from their, I say, pretty sizable investments into the 5G network? So, I mean, we're, I don't think the, the discussions are there yet. What sh- the, the thing that Chevron raised is th- they showed an indication that they're willing to do that. You know, the, 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 that, that consortium approach that you talked about worked in the Gulf of Mexico. And, and they, they recognize that. Um, and I, 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 it sounds like they're open to doing a consortium like that, but onshore to bring that kind of connectivity. And it would, you know, benefit everyone you pay into the system and, you know, and you, you, you get the benefits of it, uh, whether it just ends up being majors or large independents or, you know, small companies, maybe they just, you know, pay a fee or something. I don't know. Well, mm. there remains to be seen or if they're going to benefit, you know, or collaborate with government. I mean, there are, there are programs like, uh, the USDA and, um, uh, you know, different various state agencies, they have, you know, programs to build cell phone towers in rural areas and to bring internet to rural areas. You know, and, and there's even some that, that just specify for like emergency, you know, 911 responders. You can piggyback on those towers and build them out, you know, for business. You know, I mean, the tower is already there. You, what's adding another little, uh, yep. you know, rod up on top? Right. You know, um, or at least see. So we'll see. We'll see. So we've, we've talked a lot about, obviously, companies and, you know, which ones are going to make it, which ones are not. Uh, you got a piece on oil and gas industry turns to AI for billions in savings. And this is something that it was kind of the talk of the town. It felt like maybe this time last year or, I don't know, two years ago, it kind of runs together now that, you know, big data, AI, you know, all this stuff is going to kind of revolutionize the world. And then it, it kind of, I don't want to say died, but the, the, the hype kind of went away. Um, it felt like back then we were so early on in the conversations that we didn't even fully understand what all it could do. What's kind of changed? Cause you've covered this for quite some time. What's kind of changed in maybe the year two you've been covering this and where are we at now as we look at these um, new smart technologies uh, to be deployed in the industry? No, no, uh, you're exactly right. A lot of people talked about this, but, but now it's actually physically here. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, the, the digital oil field is actually physically here. Uh, this partnership between Baker Hughes and C3 AI and Microsoft, it's like a three-way alliance. Um, you know, one of the things that, that they found out is that a majority of operators are already using, you know, the Microsoft Azure, you know, 
platform. And then when, when Baker Hughes and, and C3 AI, the artificial intelligence company, when, when, when they did their joint venture uh, earlier, announced their joint venture earlier this year, they were, it was like a no brainer for them to, to, if most of their customers are already using Microsoft, why not Microsoft Azure? Why not, why not bring them into it and, you know, make the, you know, the technology play better with that platform. So, I mean, they did describe it as, you know, a cloud agnostic, cloud agnostic platform, but then now it's specifically tailored to Microsoft Azure, at least this one product is. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, it's just, it's just good to see this because we've been writing about that. This is coming, this is coming. And, you know, now it feels like it's actually here and this is actually going to happen and we'll see how it changes the industry and how it, uh, uh, transforms, you know, workflows and processes, you know, um, how much it can improve production and exploration, um, you know, that we'll, we'll see. Yeah. And one of the things we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the show was, um, you know, if you're, you know, Sergio Chapa EMP, you have your employees and your technology and you kind of do your things your way. Um, us at R-Square Global, we might work for you, and we might like the way you do it. We might not. It doesn't really matter. You're the client. But we also work for Josh Shelton EMP and you know XTO. And so actually the vendors on some level have a lot of interesting things to say that can contribute to how these companies um, become more efficient. And as we go through this, you know, taking data, interpreting data, best practices, I'm curious to see if there will be a pivot from the EMP companies to go to their vendors and say, okay, you know what? You guys are actually working for all these people <laughs> advise us on the things that maybe we should deploy this technology on because there's plenty of times we go to work for a client and what they do is probably not the best way to do it, but they're not necessarily asking our opinion on what the best way to do it is. You know, they're just asking us to do it. And so there's a, so um, have you felt like through this technolo- technological change that maybe the, the, the companies are more open to sharing data or hearing outside opinion on how to increase efficiencies? You know, the, the ones that I hear the most about, collaboration and data sharing or like the European companies. It really hasn't caught on yet here and with the American uh, operators and EMP companies. Um, you, you hear about data collaboration with like the Norwegian companies all the time and, um, and even, you know, the French companies, but, but with uh, here in the United States, that concept hasn't, hasn't quite caught on. I mean, everyone's so guarded here with like, you know, intellectual property and proprietary data, but, you know, in places like Norway, you know, like, like all the, 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 the uh, EMP companies have to file that data with the government. And it's like all their drilling data, all their, all that data ends up open sourced, you know, I mean, you can, anybody can just go in and look and see, you know, how that well was drilled, what the, you know, what the results were and everything. And, and I don't think that concept is, is here quite yet. And, um, you know, and then the other thing I, I would suspect with like, you know, service companies and EMPs, like, you know, kind of a barrier to that. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be like, you know, NDAs, non-disclosures, I guess. Yeah. So obviously, obviously some of that stuff is going to be in the spectrum of you can't talk about, but there is some things you can. And um, it, I mean, with the pressure right now that we read about every week is the industry is struggling, you know, companies are trying to survive. It would seem like now more than ever might be the time to go to folks and say, you know what, we need to make better profits. We have this technology or the ability to deploy this technology. Um, maybe a shift in strategy is what we need um, to, you know, if you, if you can save literally billions, if you can save billions or hundreds of millions, then maybe you should rethink your strategy at this point. No, definitely. Um, that, and that's the whole point of this uh, 
digital push. You know, everyone's hoping that they, they can connect those dots, you know, um, and they always talk about, you know, the, the buzzword is breaking the silos, mm-hmm. breaking down the silos. Mm-hmm. That's exactly but, what it is. Yeah, they sound pretty entrenched, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, Sergio, I know we are getting up against the clock here. Uh, I think we are going to have you on one more time for the end of the year, hopefully, to do a recap of the biggest stories from at least your perspective of 2019. Uh, let the listeners uh, inside of what, what you saw. Um just before we do that, though, any big takeaways from this year uh, that maybe things that you've, you know, you went from San Antonio to the Chronicle now, you cover the industry different. Just just curious, off the cuff here, anything surprised you about this year that you didn't expect? Other than be, other than all the publicity you got from the show, not not, not counting that. <laughs> well, that was nice, but, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a... It's been a it's been a rather tough year for the I thought the uh, you know the 2015 downturn was tough and you know what I've seen from this year uh, it's rather reminiscent of, of of 2015 for me all these you know the, the all the companies going with their with their losses well we call it the shale slump um, here at the uncle and you know just trying to trying to do those kind of tales of survival, how companies are adapting, how companies are responding to this, you know, slump in activity. That's been for me, like the biggest story or surprise of the year so far, you know, and, and of course you, you, you'll hear more about it. You know, when we do our top 10 stories at the end of, end of the year, um, we'll definitely take a deeper dive into that. But, but yeah, there's a, a, a lot of, of, of pain out there in the industry, you know, um, especially for the service companies are taking it the hardest right now. Well, Sergio, we do give you a hard time. We do appreciate all the work you do. You are the best in the business. And I tell everyone that on the air, off the air, and anyone that will listen to me, we do thank you for all that you do and come on the show. Um, Hope you have a great Christmas and had a good Thanksgiving and uh, hopefully get you on one more time before the end of the year to talk about kind of a recap of all the things that you guys covered and what were the biggest stories Um, and uh, look forward to a good 2020. Okay, likewise. Glad you're back from China. Hey, back safely after being detained, so I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Sergio. All right, thank you. Well, big shout out and thanks to Sergio Chapa for joining us uh, on the podcast today. As always, it was great having him on. Well, last couple of things I wanted to touch on, Ryan, before we round it up, uh, a couple of issues on the roundup. Uh, Texas oil explorers say predictions of growth contradict dire reality. Uh, this one that kind of goes into the vein of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, some reports came out from the IEA and the EIA, and both of them predict robust U.S. production growth next year. Uh, This article in particular argues that those reports are inaccurate and they give a few reasons if if you want to go and check that out. Uh, The general consensus in the market right now is that prices, uh, oil prices will go up slightly next year. Um, There are some that say it'll go up a good bit. Some say that it'll stay the same, but uh, the the general consensus is uh, it'll be, you know, in between 60 and 65. Uh, next year is average. Uh, so we, we see that a good bit. Uh, but this this article says that the industry is in a little bit worse shape than what the IEA and the EIA are predicting. Um, 
you have uh, there was an explosion that happened uh, in a uh, where was this town at? It was uh, near Texas, uh, east of Houston. Um, early on Wednesday, damaging nearby homes, injuring three workers at the site. Some people in the neighborhood and in the city said that their windows were shattered when the explosion happened. Um, so pretty major deal. I think uh, the the city Port Neches. Hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad. What's funny is uh, Nate and I both looked up how to say it, but we weren't going to tell you because we wanted you to hopefully butcher it. I was hoping you'd say like Port Nachos or something. That's nachos. <laughs> Did I butcher it? Port, Did I butcher well, it? I heard Nietzsche's? it. I heard, I, heard, I heard Nietzsche's and Nate heard Nietzsche's, so somewhere somewhere in that spectrum. Nietzsche's something. Tomato, tomato. Like tomato, tomato. You didn't say Nietzsche. You didn't say Nietzsche. You didn't say Nacho, which is really what I was thinking you'd say. <laughs> Port Nacho. <laughs> um, so anyway, prayers out to, to those uh, families where the folks were hurt. Um, hopefully that all gets resolved and... Uh, you know, this is a this is a plant that is uh, produces synthetic rubber. Um, so the pretty pretty major deal um, necessary necessary plant for sure. So anyway, I hope hope everyone's okay there. And let's see, I think I thought I had one more, Ryan, but I'm I'm not seeing it. all. I'm seeing is uh oh uh, it was it was his uh, Trump issued the the deal to start. Uh, Oh yeah, university lands. Uh, they're they're drilling on it. They're trying to open up some. Uh, there's reservations, um, conservation sites where he's trying to open some of those up for oil and gas activity. Center uh, biological diversity. That's what. Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. There we go. So if you yeah. want to read that piece, go there. The main thing, Josh, you forgot to mention is we have gotten all the five star. We don't want four stars. We don't want three stars. We don't take two stars. We definitely don't want one stars. So if you're going to leave a review, it has to be five stars. That's all we accept. That being said, spread the Christmas cheer by Energy Week or bringing the closers. There's no need. We've gotten to 200. Thank you so much. We'll link to the shirts in the show notes. So textonegascontent.com slash polar plunge. I think there's a hoodie and some other stuff. It's just print on demand so you can get it. Wear it around so everyone knows that Nate is getting wet. Um, Josh, how do do you say this nicely? We We want reviews, but we don't want them now. Like that's how you say it, right? We want them, but not until January. Yeah. No, yes, we want them now. No, we, we want we them want like yet, all so. of the reviews right now. January 1. Many, many, many reviews. Um, spread the Christmas cheer to other shows like Energy Week or Bring in the Closers. They would appreciate it. They need some reviews. They don't have nearly as many as this show does. Um, Nate, we are working on... We're going to make some content leading up to this polar plunge, Josh, because it's mm-hmm. cold here today. I mean, it's windy. It was 36 this morning. There was ice on the windshield. The wind was blowing. Oh, I couldn't imagine getting in that water come January. Woo. Yeah, Don't shut we, it down. Shut, shut it down. down. We shut yeah, it down. We, uh, uh, neck make, let's make Nate great again, and <laughs> and let's leave leave everything else alone. Josh, you were implying <laughs> that I became not great. Uh, <laughs> it's not. You're not going to be great on the day you go in the water. I'm going to say that. Ah. <laughs> well, listeners, thank you so much. We will have a few more shows uh, for to close out the year of regular scheduled programming. We are trying to put together maybe a couple of special shows. Um, recaps and predictions and things like that. So if you want to participate in that, uh, reach out to Nate and we'll see if we can work you in. And uh, that's it. And until next time, keep promoting.